I'm gonna take one, baby. Guys, we are back with the Take One podcast, and we are so happy. Today is the first day of Black History Month, and we thought it would be cool to focus in on Memphis history through the eyes of our members. And so we have Miss Donna White here, who grew up in Memphis, and so I did it, so I'm so excited to <laughs> learn more about Memphis from Miss Donna and what it was like. Uh, so just so you guys know who else is on the podcast, we also have Richard Reeves here and Sir Gregory Thornton. So let's go ahead and jump in. So Ms. Donna, how did your family end up in Memphis? Well, um, on my maternal side, uh, my grandfather and grandmother uh, came from Mississippi. Okay. And my grandfather uh, came to Memphis um, basically to work Mm -hmm. as a lot of folks did from the country areas Mm -hmm. Uh, came here to work met my grandmother they married and began to raise a family here in Memphis and uh, my mother was the oldest of their five children and so uh, so the family continued to just kind of you know to live here in Memphis okay awesome so can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Like, what was it like? What neighborhood did you grow up? What area of Memphis did you grow up in? Well, for the for the first, the better part of uh, the first 18 years of my life, I grew up in the Dixie Homes uh, apartments, which are in North Memphis, uh, near the medical center, uh, which no longer exist uh, because of Hope Six and uh, what would be deemed progress <laughs> here in the city. Wow. wow. Um, and um, I was one of, I was the fifth child of 10 children, wow. seven brothers, two sisters, uh, smack dab in the middle of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and um, if I had to kind of characterize what it was like growing up, I would say that my entire life was was within four streets that surrounded that those apartments, and that was Poplar Avenue, Air Street, um, Decatur mm-hmm. Street, and Lane Avenue. Okay. And so from, from within those streets, or right on the borders of those streets, I... Uh, Went to kindergarten, went to elementary school through uh, seventh grade, went to church, went to the corner store, yeah. <laughs> and uh, mostly sat on the front steps. Uh, that was my, that was as far as I was really allowed to go, um, being a girl mm-hmm. and being young and um, um, that was my safe place. Uh, I was allowed to sit on the steps and play jacks and uh, read a weekly reader. <laughs> what school was there? What elementary school? So the elementary school was Carnes Elementary, yeah. which closed in the last yeah. five or so years. Um, 
wow, what a rich place. Um, all my brothers and older brothers and sisters went there. Yeah. Um, I was there kindergarten through through seventh grade, and uh, came along doing. I was the first in my family who experienced busing. Mm. Yeah. And I had always looked forward to graduating. It went to eighth grade. Yeah. And I really wanted to graduate. You know, they had eighth grade graduation yeah, and everything. Um, and I was next up. And it was that year that they decided to, at the end of our seventh grade year, that we would have to uh, go to Hume's. Mm-hmm. Eighth graders would have to go to Hume's okay. Junior High, which was quite a walk from which was outside those four streets mm-hmm. right. for sure right. and uh, and then at the end of that eighth grade year they pulled us back and said that we would be bused to Bellevue Junior High which was across town right. yeah. Uh-huh. yeah yeah okay and uh, and so then from Bellevue uh, I was introduced to Central High um, the high school. <laughs> better know it. Better know it. The high school, and so that that became a whole new world. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, I, I got to go to Central not because uh, it was an automatic, because at the end of the busing at Bellevue, they then assigned me to Northside according to geography. Mm-hmm. But um, my mom did not want me to go to Northside because we, I had older brothers who had gone there and it was kind of rough. Mm-hmm. It was really in North, North Memphis. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that <laughs> phrase, North, North. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so between, um, between us, we found a way for me to attend Central, which was that I had to sign up for Russian Mm. And wow. uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. what a requirement! Yeah, okay. yeah. So I, your skill Spanish, and you just went straight Russian. to Russian. Okay. <laughs> well, they end up dropping the Russian because not enough people signed up for it, and so I had to take German. Okay. okay. Yes. Wow. German instead, in order to go to Central. Wow. How do you say hello yeah. in German? Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Listen, okay. Yeah. Still remember you know, so hey, yeah. I knew that myself. I was just, I was just trying to make sure. <laughs> Wow, so you bring up busing, and like this is so cool. Like it's Take One podcast. I didn't even know about this. Um, so, what was your experience with busing? Like, what are your thoughts and feelings about it, having experienced it? I I have mixed feelings about it, even to this day. Yeah. Um, the positives of it was that um, was that it it, it exposed. Children from uh, a very, um, I guess, what would be considered an impoverished mm-hmm. area, uh, both to other areas of the city, but also to academics yeah. that were offered uh, at Bellevue that were not offered yeah. uh, at 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 the school, mm-hmm. at the home school. Right. Yeah. Um, it was my first time going to school with white kids. Um, and so seeing myself as, you know, how do I compare to these folks? And um, 
and the conversations that came about as you know as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really was a sort of an an awakening and an awareness um, of what the larger world looked like. Mm. Um, and I, I have to say this is that we arrived at Bellevue three bus three bus loads. You know, I would say from the projects they would say of Project Kids, and uh, we came over there and we took over that school. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was there for one year and I was Miss Bellevue. Okay, the other year, right, Come on, right. Miss Bellevue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. The Bobcats. I mean, we were, we were. Yes. You know, it's just. Um, <laughs> my point being that we were not behind. Anybody, we brought something to the table. Yes. Um, yes. Our elementary school was really educated us, mm-hmm. and so we were able to compete at the same level mm-hmm. um, with these kids who didn't live in their projects. They lived in nice houses, and mm-hmm. you know, um, were driven to school or rode their bikes to school. Um, but hey, we represented. What can it. I say? I mean, it was it was. Uh, so that's a good that's a good memory. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I love that's it. a good memory of it. That's amazing. Um, the downside of it is that, uh, and I have to admit this, is that we we lost a sense of community and belonging. Mm. Um, Your parents might not have been able to come to PTA meetings mm-hmm. um, because, yes, yeah. wow. uh, that would involve transportation, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. which was not readily available. Right. And um, there were there were there were a lot of gives and takes. There were uh, there were moments of feeling not not as good as. Mm. Um, simply because you had not simply because I had not been exposed mm-hmm. right. um, I'll tell this quick little story if you don't mind yeah, yes. um, I was in ninth grade Spanish and uh, the Spanish class was taking a trip to Mexico and I heard the teacher wow. talking about this and I was like okay and everybody was excited, and we're talking about you know, they were going to Mexico and getting their paperwork in. And I never gave it a thought that mm. I could go. Mm. Wow. Well, I was friends with this white girl, Denise, um, and her dad would sometimes give me a ride home instead of us riding the bus, instead of me riding the bus. And he happened to, to take me home one day and... He mentioned to my mother, my mother came out to the car, he mentioned to my mother, uh, yeah, um, yeah, you know, is Donna going to go to Mexico? What did he say that for? Oh, man. Bottom line, um, she got all the details that she needed. Mm. She asked me, why didn't you tell me about the trip? I was like, I knew we wouldn't have the money to go. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of that. Uh, my first airplane trip <laughs> <laughs> was wow. a trip to Acapulco, Mexico, Mexico wow. City, Taxco, the whole nine. It was wow. it was unbelievable. She made it happen. Mm-hmm. 
And she said to me, she said, don't you ever wow. make a decision for me. Mm. I'm the mother. Mm. <laughs> wow. So that was a that was a powerful lesson learned. And it and you know, and so another way in which it just kind of changed me from uh even comparing myself or saying what, you know, putting a ceiling on what mm. what I might be able to experience yeah. or do yeah. um based on where I live. So that's beautiful. Man, what a powerful story. Yeah. What a powerful woman. That it makes sense yes. that you came from that oh, That's right. That's right. <laughs> I could definitely see She's you saying awesome my lady. child is going to go. That's right. I, I can see that coming from Miss Dada for sure. <laughs> oh man, what beautiful. Okay, so I'm going in another direction a little bit, but um, so you had a white friend, Denise. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? Did you experience any racism with busing? I know you took over the school, so <laughs> did you experience any of that? Um, well, all, you know, hindsight, you, you see all kinds of things. But what, and, and you categorize them, I categorize them, but when you are in the midst of it, yeah. you don't necessarily, I didn't necessarily see it as um, having to do with race. Mm-hmm. I saw it as, oh, they don't like us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was this us and them, yeah. you know, kind of feeling. And, um, and until I would get to know, and of course I, I'm a believer that everything is about relationship. Yeah. So until I was in classes with the different students and until the teachers even mm-hmm. uh, began to see that we could perform, yeah. Um, yeah, that was kind of a, you know, a reticence uh, at, uh, in trying, you know, a, a tendency to say all of these kids are whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that feeling, you know, that we were the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We weren't the regular ones uh, who attended Bellevue. Yeah. But, uh, but once we began to uh, get into the National Honor Society and once... Um, I was I was top vocalist for yeah. uh, you know in that in that one year I'm telling you we took over. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, it's I it's just it. a fact. Mm, it's a fact. I'm, I'm, I'm not bragging, yeah. even though I'm smiling. <laughs> you gotta tell the truth. The memory. Listen, you gotta tell the truth, hey. But uh, but yeah, um, you know sometimes racism is more of a feeling not embraced. Than mm-hmm. anything that is kind of specifically said yeah. or done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, and I can't imagine like being a child in it. You know, you don't always. I mean, as an adult, I don't always know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But as a child, you know, mm-hmm. you don't always know what's going on. Man, uh, so amazing. All right. Um, so let's see. Let's let's switch gears for real. Um, so, do you have any childhood memories around the celebration of Black history and or culture? Would you say that was a part of um, growing up, either explicitly or implicitly, just that celebration? Mm-hmm. I think I had the benefit of an awareness about, about black history and what was happening in the country mm-hmm. simply because I had older brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. And, uh, and so I got to hear their conversations and experience things through them, um, for example, uh, of course, I grew up in the '60s, 
And so I'm there in elementary school, but they're in middle and high school. And so they had this thing called Black Mondays. Okay. And that was where um, at a certain hour on Mondays, all the students would leave class. They would just get up and leave class. And, um, and they would walk around the campus. And it was to protest something that was going on um, wow. in the country yeah. or in Memphis, right? right? Wow. And they would just walk around the campus and I would hear um, some of them would come past our little elementary school windows and, you know, they would knock on the windows um, and the teachers would, you know, would shush them away, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, but everything stopped. And so we, you know, we still had to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. And the reason that I would find out what was going on was because of my older brothers and sisters right. and hearing right. them talk about it. Now, they would get in trouble yeah. at home because you just don't leave. In school. Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah, you don't leave class. and you yeah. know. But they weren't suspended or anything like that. Right. The principal would just, um, he would ring his big bell mm-hmm. and... And everybody would go back to class after they had made their point. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that was um, that's a memory for me. And then um, James Brown. Yes. And the song "Say It Loud." Uh-huh. I'm black and I'm proud. Yeah. Mm. I was really affected by that mm. by yeah. that song. Um. I had never really thought about being black as a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was like bl- being black and being proud of it became a thing. Yes. You know, it became um, having an afro, growing your afro, mm-hmm. um, afro sheen and, and, and the spray mm-hmm. and um, dressing in a certain way and having a, a certain pride or swagger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, not just being so much concerned about being straight laced or looking like mm. the dominant culture, mm. you know, with your hair cut short and um, just very straight, you know, straight laced clothes, clothing, right. khakis right. or whatever. But <laughs> but um, khakis and a tucked in polo shirt. There you go. With some <laughs> docker shoes on. No socks. No socks. Uh, <laughs> With some plaid shorts. Okay, I'm done. Oh, man. I'm traumatized still. I'm sorry. You got the outfit. That's right. That's right. So, so um, you know, the music yeah. began to reflect the changes that were that were taking place around around the country. Yeah. And, of course, in Memphis, um, um, I guess I would... But I would have to say the best, um, and as I thought about this, the best uh, memory I have of of African American, the celebration of African American history, was that my mother, her name is Louise. My mother purchased a complete set of books on African American history and culture. And this set of books had just been published. It was a brand new thing. And they were being sold door to door. You know, a salesman, yeah. like, you know, like, almost like an insurance salesman, right. came door to door and, you know, he would have some, some samples of the book and 
they, she could look through them. And I remember being there, sitting on the floor, looking through them. And then all of a sudden, some weeks later, the books were in our in our home. Yeah, they're in the Dixie home, oh. wow. and these weren't. Uh, inexpensive. They were. I know they were at least two hundred dollars. And for some reason, the, the the you know that amount sticks with me. I'm gonna have to check with my brother, my older brother, who has now uh, he's claimed them as part of his inheritance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> wow. So he has custody of those books to this day. Wow. It's probably about twelve books, and they were big and thick and uh, and just full of history. Yeah. And so we would. You know, we would go through those books in our home Mm -hmm. and would learn things about African-American history that we did not hear Mm -hmm. about anywhere else or know about had it not been for those. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I must say it's still the case, like, with me growing up is that, like, in my history class, my, my, my teachers had to bring it in. It wasn't mm-hmm. written into the curriculum, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I had to take a special class to get that African-American history. It's amazing that you had that, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. these books that, oh, man, what, your, what a rich childhood. Man, that's amazing. Thanks. Your mom just sounds mm-hmm. I know, like an that's amazing what, I know. woman. My God. Yeah, talk about your parents a little more. That, oh, that yeah. I mean... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to hear more. What do they do for work? Mm-hmm. What, yeah. Um, I wish I could talk more about my dad, uh, except that he didn't have really a, a a strong role in my life. Okay. Um, I write about uh, you know I write about that trying to work it through in some ways. In that he was a he was a preacher. Uh, a pastor. Oh wow! Uh, and um, we would have these. Uh, we would have a monthly visit where he would. Uh, and, and we had different fathers. Uh, some of us, uh, some of my brothers and sisters, we had different fathers. So he was my daddy. Gotcha. And um, he would come and visit once a month and uh, give a check, uh, put a check in the in the. Uh, in the letterbox, or, um, or you know, if my mom saw him coming up, she would open the door so he could actually come and say hi to me, yeah. Yeah. and give me the check, yeah. you know. So um, he was a nice guy. That's okay. about as much as I can say about him. He seemed like a nice guy, yeah. but he was he was not a daddy yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, but my mama. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. What can I say? She was everything. She um, she had ten babies. Wow! Uh, over a span of twenty-two years, uh, from seventeen to age thirty-nine, and um, she Louise Owls, Louise Manuel Owls uh, was her name. Um, she was the PTA president at all of our schools, with the exception of Central. Central was the only one. But my older brother and sisters went to Manassas. She was uh, PTA president there. Uh, some uh, brothers went to Northside. She was PTA president there. Um, she also uh, worked in our in a, in, within the Dixie Homes 
Um, to this day, I'm trying to, and, and it's my lack for not doing it, but um, she started a girls' club inside of the boys' club. Boys' club. <laughs> there, there was a boys' club only, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Dixie Holmes Boys' Club, and they were closed on Mondays. And she got with the, the, the uh, director of the boys' club and said, yeah. can I have the... Use of the <laughs> of the club on Mondays for these girls, wow. and he said yes. Wow! And so we girls, a group of girls, and some some other helping mothers in the neighborhood would meet there in the boys' club on Mondays. Wow! Uh, and she taught us sewing. I never got good at that. I'm not. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> she taught us sewing and. Um, and we would read, and we were taught uh, cooking lessons, all these things. Um, and she was responsible for that. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. And then she also uh, served on a committee that helped to form uh, MIFA here in the city. What? Yes, yes. Unbelievable. So, um, yeah, she was, uh, she was very active. Um, she was... She was not defined by where we lived or anything like that, you know. Clearly. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll say this last thing about it. I could talk about it forever. But, <laughs> um, she was, she had uh, dropped out of school once she became pregnant in high school. Yeah. And when my oldest sister was a senior in high school, my mother said, I will not allow my child to graduate high school before I graduate. Mm. <laughs> and so she went to night school and she graduated six months my before my <laughs> oldest sister graduated high school. Mm. So my mother graduated and then my sister graduated six months later. Wow, so she was just that that's who she was, you know, wow. was that She was a she was the real deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Sounds all I can like say. She was Sounds a real like deal. Night school, PTA president. Like those are stories I love to hear because I think like even growing up in Memphis myself, going to I remember like, you know, every Black History Month, um, uh, you know, a project is to pick a, you know, black hero and write about them. Mm-hmm. And it was always Harriet Tubman, Rosa Park. Mm-hmm. MLK, they didn't respect Malcolm X, so we couldn't talk about Malcolm X. Um, or, um, yeah. or Colin Powell, because, you know, I, I wrote about Colin Powell, but I forget what he did exactly. NASA, maybe? No, anyway. But, like, I just love, like, hearing the stories of, like, the everyday um, yeah. men and women who... Who are some who, who are people to be remembered and admired and like I mean just even as I just think about like your mom's story and everything you said and you said you can talk about her all day it's just like I can sit here and just smile with you <laughs> like, yeah. like I, I could just sit here and smile with you all day as, as you talk about your mom and I just love to be able to highlight you know those yeah. those you know everyday heroes who who endure so much but um have never even maybe received the acknowledgement you know for it so yeah, yeah. Mm. heroes for real like 
everyday hero. She got you to Mexico. Listen. She got you to Mexico. Say less. (laughs) (laughs) Say less. Watch out. And she never got to ride an airplane herself. Mm. She never got to do that. Wow. She she died uh, two weeks before uh, I was to go off to college. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She had a stroke uh, Mm. and uh, lived six months. she she had the stroke two weeks after my 18th birthday, and then she died two weeks before I was to go to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I was gonna ask about college because I know you still went to college even in the midst of that. Yeah. Pain. Yeah. Um, my oldest brother and sister forced me to. Okay. I had gotten scholarship uh, and was planning to go to college, but. Uh, with everything that happened in those six months uh, prior to that, I was just like, no, I'm not going. I'm staying home. And uh, my brother said, oh, yeah, you're going. <laughs> um, and uh, I guess I'd have to say, so I went to Grinnell College in Grinnell, Iowa. Okay. Small, That's Midwestern uh, college in the middle of the cornfields uh-huh. uh, in Iowa. <laughs> You're speaking <Wow>. my language. <laughs> You're speaking my language. You know, I'm just a little bit up here. Uh, <laughs> cornfields, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, small college, about 1,250 students, okay. 50 of whom were black. Wait, and, how, how many again? 1,250 okay. students. Uh-huh. Uh, 50 of whom were black. That's in a good year. That, that wasn't during the entire four-year time. <laughs> uh, wow. It got as few as like 25 of us on campus at one point. But, uh, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so what was that experience like coming from Memphis? Going to that small Midwestern, <laughs> and like I said, I'm, I'm, you're speaking my language. I'm from Indiana, y'all. Cornfields <laughs> for like miles and miles. And miles. <laughs> so I'm just wondering, what was that like coming from Memphis um, with that that strong uh, childhood? But yeah, what yeah, was that like? It was life changing. Okay, it was absolutely yeah. positively life changing. And as I look back on it, I'm. I don't know how much of that was because I was in shock and yeah. grief right. as regards my mother's death yeah. just two weeks before. Yeah. Um, but I was, um, I, I don't know any other way to say it, but just in shock. It was like, uh, you imagine some tourists who go to <laughs> New York and they're looking yeah. up you know, at the tall buildings where... There I was, you know, this city girl from Memphis, <laughs> you know, out in the middle of these cornfields. And um, it was so quiet and it was so white. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I didn't know what to expect, to be quite honest with you. But to, to the college's credit... They had this program where uh, students coming uh, from urban situations, the urban wasn't a word then, but coming from uh, urban situations would be paired with other students as roommates uh, who were second year, right? And so um, 
So I was paired with uh, uh, a black girl named Mercedes, from Mercedes Jones from Chicago. <laughs> Hello. Okay, okay, Mercedes. And yes, and so um, she helped me to acclimate to the college and to the campus and uh, encouraged me and um, let me cry a million tears yeah. uh, oh as I began to deal with the grief yeah. from my mom's death. So, um, yeah, Grinnell, it was an... I lost my fear and awe of white people at Grinnell. Yeah. Simply because uh, when you live around people and you see people not as a monolith, mm. come on, but you see them come as people now. with different experiences, mm -hmm. right. uh, different advantages, different disadvantages, yeah, you begin to say, "Oh, they're just people." Mm. Right. Wow. right right and uh, and so that's that was the biggest change for me is that I was no longer because sometimes that awe of what you don't know and what you're not familiar with can right. cause you to be in fear of that right, right. and so I lost that fear wow wow yeah preach yeah. it preach it already man <laughs> so oh, good. oh so, so good, good. Yeah. so good all right, so I want to ask, because I know that you also went to grad school and you spent some time, I want to say, in Jamaica and met a wonderful person <laughs> and all of that. So I'm just wondering, like, how did you meet your husband and why did you decide to come back to Memphis? Well, one small correction. Okay, I did, I'm sorry. That's okay. I didn't go to graduate school. I, I received a postgraduate fellowship. Okay. okay. And... Um, that was uh, it's called a Thomas uh, Thomas J Watson Fellowship, okay. uh, one of the founders of IBM, and they um, it was a competitive scholarship where uh, you could win it and you could choose to go and study um, independently anywhere in the world, and it was something called a Wonder Year. A Wanderjahr, to use the uh, the German. That's for you, Sergi. I knew that. Wanderjahr, you said it wrong. Oh, oh, Lord, here we go. <laughs> um, and uh, and so I I was uh, was nominated from from the college, and I won the fellowship, and I chose uh, to study the cultural history. Uh, I wanted to cultural history of black people once they left the United States during the 1860s. Um, they were allowed, black people were allowed to uh, get on a ship and leave the country and to uh, go back to Africa, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and but what happened is that they landed in the West Indies and then uh, mm -hmm. and they landed in Haiti mm -hmm. and they uh, ultimately went to Liberia. Okay. And uh, and so I wanted to trace that route, yeah. the route of that, and see what happened uh, in the cultures where those those folks had uh, uh, migrated to return to and uh, unfortunately I was not able to, to go to Liberia because they had been in a civil war and I could not get a visa yeah. 
And so I had to adjust my study to Haiti and Jamaica. And so that's, those were the places uh, that I've, I, I focused my attention on. Uh, I had to spend limited amount of time in Haiti because the society was so stratified. Very rich, very poor. Uh, I would have had to live as one of the very rich, which was going to make me a target. Uh, I didn't speak French. Mm. Uh, and even if I did speak French, it wasn't the type of French that was going to be spoken in Haiti. Right. 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 So uh, just really wasn't going to be a safe situation. So I was advised against spending much time. So I went there came back, went there, and came back. Okay. But, but uh, the majority of my time was spent um, in Jamaica and getting more in-depth into Jamaican cultural history, uh, which was so absolutely fascinating, mm-hmm. and which ended up, I ended up uh, interviewing uh, different people from Jamaica uh, to, to get their history, to see how their folks came there, because, I mean, Jamaicans are from all over, I mean, uh, ethnically, uh, they're um, uh, Indian, they're uh, African, they're Chinese, they, I mean, uh, every ethnicity is, uh-huh, is there. And so um, I wanted to, you know, to, to investigate that. And so I was interviewing to come to this person that I met you, that you alluded to. <laughs> Uh, as part of my interview process, uh, I had there was a family there that had embraced me and helped me to acclimate to Jamaica, and so I was being introduced to some of her friends so that I could get those interviews in. And she kept inviting me to interview this guy. She said, "There's this guy you've got to interview. He's he is really interesting, and he you know uh, I think he would make a good interview." So she would set up the meeting, and then he would cancel. Or she would set up another meeting, and I would cancel. And um, as it turned out, I ended up not meeting him until two weeks before it was time for me to go home. Wow. Oh, wow. For good. Wow. But when I met him. Oh, my goodness. Come on. I love this. I love this story. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was, it, wow. Um, yeah. Um, I we were introduced I'm almost at a loss for words wow well the downside he was cutting his front lawn when I met him (laughs) (laughs) and he didn't have on a shirt he was sweaty. He was sweaty. <laughs> Jamaica. Come on. Set he the had scene. On, Set the scene. Yeah, look at, look at you. He had on these orange shorts. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I was like, wow, he doesn't even have on a shirt. You know, I was like, oh. Uh-huh. You know. Or so I thought I was like, oh. But, um, <laughs> but the, the, uh, what ended up happening is that um, my friend... Uh, called him over to our car because she had picked me up and we were going over to her house. And and she, he was her friend. She said, oh, this is the guy that I've been um, wanting, you know, you've been trying to meet. Come to find out he only lived like two blocks or oh, so wow. from where I had lived the wow. entire time oh. in Jamaica. Just didn't know. It's crazy. But anyway, in those few minutes of, of our being introduced, 
um, it was like I just saw the. Should, do I want to put this out here? <laughs> I heard this at the women's retreat, and I was just like, oh. "Sorry." <laughs> it was it was as though I I saw the the light of God just show on yeah, His face, wow. and just a beautiful person mm-hmm. inside. It was like God let me glimpse inside of Him, and I um, I was done. I had never felt like that. Wow about anybody. I didn't know what was going on. Um, but uh, I called it love at second sight. <laughs> you know, so, um, um, That's great. We ended up uh, getting to know each other better in those two weeks. And, uh, and then I left. And we married 13 years later. And the rest is history. We've now been married for it'll be 28 years this year. Wow. wow. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's amazing. I had to bring you real yeah, quickly yeah. to this. <laughs> so, so why did you decide to make your home in Memphis? You've had a, a son and, and yeah. all that. Why did you yeah. decide to? Yeah. When I came back from Jamaica, I just kind of felt like I, I had had all these opportunities and been away. And um, I had uh, five brothers and sisters under the age of 18 when I left. And, of course, you know, a lot had happened to my family. Right. My, uh, my oldest sister took them in, mm-hmm. uh, and she was only 28 years old when wow. she did that. Wow. And she had a husband and a baby herself. Wow. And so uh, I felt like I needed to come home and help, mm. uh, that I needed to be here for them. Yeah. And that really and truly is the only thing that brought me back to Memphis was my family. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So with everything we've talked about, I'm like, the rest of these questions, I feel like I can just... Um, so you've had a life full of triumph and pain um, and beautiful moments and really sad moments. What would you say, um, how can you see God working in all of those moments? And what would you say propels you to just keep going? Because uh, we know you as, you know, Miss Donna, Karen Connect, you know, with the women's <laughs> ministry, um, just a bright light every time we see you coming into church. We wouldn't know all of these things, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so, yeah, like what, what would you say keeps you going and how can you see God just working through your life? Yeah. I have such a rich example, and I don't even want to say one example because it's really generational. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother, Donna, oh, I'm, wow. after whom I'm named, um, was a Christian, a woman of faith. Um, my mother, who then you know raised her children uh, as people of faith, Mm-hmm. Um, my mother's uh, abiding faith, regardless of circumstances that you know that allowed her to live outside of any labels or definitions. Um, and seeing all that um, that her faith in God caused her to do many times in spite of. Mm. 
and the investment that she made into her children, yeah. um, I know was tied to to her faith in God. Yeah. I know it um, because of what I saw her do. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a daily word, the daily word, mm-hmm. and an open Bible on her side table. And every day, it wasn't just there to, to catch dust. Yeah, It was read. You couldn't talk to our mother in the morning with, before she had read her daily word. Mm. <laughs> wow. And we knew that. Yeah. yeah. Right? Wow. Um, so just, uh, and she made sure that we went to church. Not just sent us to church. Even though she sent us to Sunday school while she finished making uh, dinner for Sunday, mm-hmm. and then she would meet us at you know at big church as we used to say. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, she made sure that that we had opportunity to know the Lord, yeah. and uh, I don't know where I would be. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have made it uh, through losing her mm-hmm. had I not been a believer. Mm. Uh, I was mad at God mm. and he let me be mad with him Amen. Mm. Um, he, but he let me cry out to him yes. mm. and ask the hard questions yes. and uh, and so I've, I've always felt his embrace mm-hmm. I've always uh, known that he was behind it all orchestrating mm-hmm. stuff you know, making doors open and sometimes making doors close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, that's what has, uh, that has caused me to, to never think about giving up or giving in. Um, even though, you know, being young, when you're young, uh, sometimes you, you know, I mean, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, oh, I was always, you know, full of faith. No. Right. Nope. Um, but he always sent somebody. Mm-hmm. God always sent somebody. Amen. Wow. A word in due season. That's yes. right. Or an example without words. Mm. Right. Somebody to look at. Yeah. To say, hey, you can. This is just a moment in time. You can you can do it. Yeah. God, oh, were you are you messed up like that? Oh no, but God still love you. Come on. Mm. Right. So, yeah. um, wow. I'm I'm very thankful. I'm I have so much. Mm. Ooh we. <laughs> Don't make me cry on your mic. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much made to be us thankful cry for. A few times. <laughs> yes, you have. Wow, what a testimony. Uh, Y'all, it got so good that once again, we have a part two. So please check us out next week to hear part two of Miss Donna's story.